Hi, everyone. This is Katie. What you're about to hear was originally recorded as a Patreon-only episode, which means that it was just available for our paying subscribers. We decided to release the episode to everyone because a lot of people were asking for it and because we think it's a valuable discussion that more people should hear. The reason Jesse and I are able to keep this project running is thanks to our patrons. And if you would like to join this elite group of supporters, you can do so at patreon.com slash blocked and reported. Not only will that get you access to all of our bonus patron-only episodes, you will also eventually get to hear Jesse's rap about the replication crisis, which he assures me will be released before President Harris begins her second term. So please check us out at patreon.com slash blocked and reported and enjoy this bonus episode. Katie Herzog, how's it going? Oh, you know, Jesse, things are really good. It's 2021. Nothing's going wrong. I think the people who predicted that all the problems would immediately solve themselves this year have been proven correct. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Did anybody actually predict that? Do people think that like you turn over a page on the calendar and things automatically get better or worse? That was my understanding, and I feel pretty ripped off. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. (sighs) I will say my own life has seen one area of considerable improvement. Uh, What was that? Did uh, your girlfriend get new shoes? Horseshoes? (laughs) Horseshoes? <laughs> Sorry. Um, Someone recently told me that the horse joke is getting old, and I responded, actually, she's very young. I feel like I, my own role in perpetrating my own oppression was that this was like, I think it started in the spring or the summer. It was an offhanded remark. I leaned into it for like a couple days. I made a couple jokes about it. And then it got to the point where like every fifth Twitter tweet at me from a listener was about it so yeah it's um (laughs) i think i i contributed to it but um anyway so yeah i actually i am recording from the brand new east coast headquarters of blocked and reported our brooklyn bureau i have moved apartments oh nice yeah nice congratulations how is it thank you it's nice like you know, Brooklyn nice means you're paying way too much for not enough space, but I was able to to move into a um a nicer place largely because of you guys, because of our patrons. More importantly, this gives me the opportunity to tell a very petty story. Let's hear it. I think I previously mentioned this on a Patreons only episode, but one of my only instances of someone sort of confronting me about my work in a real life setting was when I met a woman at a party who worked for a sort of sci-fi fantasy publishing house and told me that my work hurt her friends. I think that's very close to the exact language. I told that story, right? Yeah, I remember this one. Um, She did not like me. What I did not reveal is that she lived in my fucking building and I met her at like a a get together two or three floors above me. Awkward. I, I also know what it's like to live among people who hate you. I'm talking mostly about my wife. My yeah, wife, okay. yeah. My wife. Uh, so this made things awkward once this uh, hatred had been established that she hated me. I didn't hate her. I don't know her. It like it became very awkward because like she would often pass in the hall. She's walking her dogs. The low point came when I had been out of town when I fled the pandemic for a while. I came back. My girlfriend and I, my actual girlfriend, no horse jokes, uh, we She's w- a human. I get it. We went up on the roof, as you often do, because you don't really have much outdoor space in New York. There's a little ladder you have to climb. Go out on the roof, hang out. I think we had a beer. Climb back down the ladder. The door right next to the ladder creaks open, and it's her. It's the woman who hates me. <laughs> nice. And she just stares at me like she's a kindergarten teacher. <laughs> And I am someone who's done something wrong, even though, like, you can go on the roof. She's not the guardian of the roof just because she lives next to it. And she just looks at me and she goes, I thought you were out of town. 
<laughs> I had never experienced, like on Twitter, I experienced people hating me all the time. Yeah. But you don't often interact face to face with people who despise you. So, um. Unless you live in Seattle. Unless you live in Seattle and Arcadia, Arizona. That's, right. that's the most petty I'll be. I'm not going to reveal her name or what publishing house she works for, but it was pretty unpleasant to live in a building with her. And I did try to engage her when she said she didn't like my work, but as is often the case, like she preferred to just keep hating me than to tell me why she hates me. Anyway, from now on, this podcast is just going to be me railing about my personal grievances. I hope people don't mind that. Do you want to reveal her identity? No, I actually have her social security number. Uh, 328. <laughs> are you writing this down? I'm writing it 429 down. 429-7684. Yeah. All right, great. I'm going to uh, get a driver's license under her under her name this week. And I am not a good driver. <laughs> now that that very important business is out of the way, uh, welcome to this patrons-only episode of Blocked and Reported. Katie, we have a very blocked and reported set of circumstances to discuss do we not we do the world is really aligning to uh to give us podcast content lately thank you world thank you donald trump that's a sentence i say a lot i just want to say it one more time thank you donald trump because how much longer do we get to say that nine days well who knows actually okay so donald i mean we talked about the riot which is its own thing in the last episode uh donald trump has now been kicked off both twitter and multiple other platforms right Let's do the whole the whole rundown. So this is a list from Axios that was published um, on Sunday. Reddit, Twitch, Shopify, Twitter, Google, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, Apple, Discord, Pinterest, Stripe. So he will Stripe will no longer process <laughs> payments for for, for the Trump oh campaign. He's been he has been unpersoned. Um, I was thinking this morning like. I think we can almost say that Donald Trump has been canceled. I think this is like textbook canceled definition. And whether or not you agree with the uh, the charges against him, this is sort of the depersoning of someone. This is I, I think that this is cancellation. This is much closer to actual cancellation than what people often call cancellation. I will say um, the idea of Trump not being on Twitch is very funny because the idea of Trump being on Twitch is very right, funny. Right, and tr- and Twitch is a, a video game streaming, right? Yeah. So be Trump like talking about how even though he loses every round of a shooter, he's actually a good sniper. Everyone says he is. There's just the people are cheating. Blah blah blah. He and, and PewDiePie would be like using the N word and and making anti-Semitic jokes. Yeah, yeah. That, I could um, actually see that happening. Not good. I mean, I guess the main okay. Conservatives are also in an uproar because um, Parler was knocked offline by, I think, is it Amazon that is no longer hosting it? Jesse, I have to tell you something. It turns out that Parler, I learned this today thanks to Thomas Chatterton Williams' Twitter account, Parler is supposed to be pronounced Parlay. Oh, right, because their tweets are called, I, I just read an article about it. I knew nothing about Parlay, but instead of tweets, they have parlays <laughs> instead of retweets. They have echoes. Oh yeah, yeah. I had no idea. It's like yeah. it's like when you when you go to the supermarket and there's Cheerios and then there's like grain O's, like the generic version. Right, right. Yeah. So this was the yeah parlor is. I'm still going to continue to call it parlor um, because I'm not French, but it is uh, apparently the original, like the intended pronunciation of this platform was parlay, which. Tells you, for one thing, that it's a stupid fucking name for a platform. That's weird, too, because, like, usually right and far-right types are very anti-elitist, anti-French, and yet they, they fell into the Frenchman's trap, as I call it, of not pronouncing ours. Parlay fries. Parlay fries. Yeah. Um, so where, where do we start with this? I mean, the so there's two separate issues, and maybe we should divide them up. One is 
the leader of the free world, albeit for only nine more days, no longer having access to major social media accounts. And the other is what feels like a little bit of a, I don't know if I want to call it a purge because there's been a lot of hyperbolic language, but a lot of conservatives, uh, not all of whom are like would-be murderous Nazis, are getting knocked offline, as are their platforms. You you tell us where to begin. Uh, let's start with Trump. Um, so the reason that Twitter gave for banning trump from the platform was that he violated the he violated the platform terms of service with two tweets and uh let's go ahead and 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 actually read what those tweets are i got them up here i can read them okay cool um these are t- okay so the first one is the 75 million great american patriots of course american patriots is capitalized who voted for me he's talking about the football team mm-hmm. America first and make America great again will have a giant voice long into the future. They will not be disrespected or treated unfairly in any way, shape, or form. And then not long after that, he tweeted to all of those who have asked, I will not be going to the inauguration on January 20th. Um, th- these in the long litany of bad Donald Trump tweets, it is very strange that Twitter would choose these two. Uh, and they, they sort of contrive this explanation of, him saying his supporters will have a giant voice long into the future, uh, this is from Twitter's blog post explaining it, is being interpreted as further indication that President Trump does not plan to facilitate an orderly transition. But he's just saying he wants his supporters to have a voice long into the future. I mean, I'm not trying to defend President Trump per se. It's just like this is that weird style of um, interpreting text where you're like, well, it could be seen as saying this, right? Yeah, it's mind reading, um, insinuating a lot of things that I don't think are literally there. So I, when I heard he was banned, my first thought was like, good, fuck him, take away the dude's phone. But when I saw the rationale for it, I thought that is not under anybody else could have tweeted that and presumably this would not have been a, a violation of the terms of service and and he probably has violated terms of service before but i don't when i just read those tweets and i don't try to um try to sort of suss out some some meaning based on his punctuation and his capitalization of the word patriots if i don't try to like i don't know mind read what he really meant to say i don't see those as a violation of the terms of service so i do find that distressing um that they that this that these platforms would ban people for 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 something else and then say it's for violating the terms of service i think that what they did was they banned him because they had intense internal pressure from their employees and external pressure from their shareholders and and customers. Um, and so this was a rash decision, but it was also one that was probably like now I'm now I'm like, you know, mind reading Jack Dorsey, but this was just as much about uh, about uh, as a, pr- a press move um, in a way of pacifying employees as it was an actual response to an actual terms of ser- service violation. Well, OK, the fact of the matter is Twitter's terms of service are not uh you know uh enforced uh, consistently and I think they've given Trump himself the benefit of the doubt among other things he tweeted when the looting starts the shooting starts he's tweeted a lot of other provocative stuff that could be seen you could absolutely find something in the TOS that was a violation I guess agree yeah what people on when I pointed this out on Twitter what people said is like Twitter was sort of in a bind because they had let all that other stuff go. Uh, sometimes they would, you know, uh, delete a tweet or whatever, but they'd never suspended him before. 
they needed to justify why they were doing it at this moment rather than a year ago. So they had to contrive something. So Uh, yeah, I mean, I can, I can, that seems like a a rational explanation. And I, and I do think the company is in a bind. I don't think that Jack Dorsey or Mark Zuckerberg want to be, you know, the, the free speech police. Um, but we have oftentimes people in the media have demanded that they are in, in that position. Um, I don't envy them at all, despite their riches. Um, I do envy them because of their riches. But but setting that aside, I, I do think there's something a little bit more at stake here. And I think maybe one – okay, maybe this is like a cheap rhetorical move. But you can sometimes say this very weird thing happened. We had to do something about it that we might not apply to every situation. Having an outgoing president of the United States who is actively fomenting a bizarre conspiracy theory – that led to an attack on the Capitol, you know, I, I wouldn't have minded if they just said, we're going to knock him offline till the presidency is over in 10 days. But like, I, I sure. think I disagree that this is like, like when Twitter bans gender critical voices, that right. is clearly because of activist pressure in their own employees. Right. Um, you agree with me that it's not crazy to say that even if you're a free speech purist, there might be, there might be a case that isn't crazy for like, restricting his access to Twitter for a while, right? Absolutely not. I mean, I think that they – I'm not saying I think they make the wrong decision. I'm just saying when I read these tweets, I don't see how these tweets are a violation of terms oh, of I, service. Oh, I agree completely. It, it, it's like a fig leaf for um, – I mean, they were in a bind all along because cause they – He's the president of the United States. It's weird to think you would have to ban a president of the United States from Twitter. Yeah, this is this is unprecedented. This, this has Un- never happened unprecedented. before. Unprecedented. Can I right. can yeah. I read this um Navalny tweet storm? Yeah. So so Alexei Navalny is a um a well-known Russian dissident, well-known in part because Vladimir Putin. I think it's Putin. Navalny. Navalny. Alexei Navalny. Um parlay. Uh <laughs> He got he got poisoned by uh, Putin's goons and and CNN and I think Bellingcat did an amazing investigation where they got one of these dudes to admit it on the phone. You should look that up. I'll put that in the show notes. Here's what he wrote, and I found it to be sort of the strongest version of the argument against banning Twitter. I think that the ban of Donald Trump on Twitter is an unacceptable act of censorship. Of course, during his time in the office, Trump has been writing and saying very irresponsible things and paid for it by not getting reelected for a second term. The election is a straightforward and competitive process. You can participate in it. You can appeal against the results. They're being monitored by millions of people. The ban on Twitter is a decision of people we don't know in accordance with the procedure we don't know. Then he goes on to point out that, um, quote, among the people who have Twitter accounts are cold-blooded murderers, Putin or Maduro, and liars and thieves, Medvedev. For many years, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram have used these as a base for Putin's troll. And so he basically just goes on to say that, like, a lot of these other really bad people have Twitter accounts. He also points out that from other people's point of view, he himself should be banned from Twitter. And I think he's just drawing the comparison between a democratic process like the one that just ousted Trump and a completely undemocratic process, which is what what's going on with these social media platforms. Do you find that um compelling? I do. I mean, you know, these companies are not – these are not the government. These are not uh, – these are privately owned companies and obviously they can do whatever the fuck they want. You know, I'm honestly more concerned with Megan Murphy's banning than I am Donald Trump's. I'm <laughs> because I, that's still like Megan Murphy's banning did still. So what happened with Megan Murphy is that she tweeted men are not women. And I think she misgendered some people and she was banned. And this did have like a real impact on her career. Um, so I'm more, I am more concerned about them using this power against, against, 
you know, people who don't have, who can't start a cable network. Um, and the ACLU released a similar, uh, released a statement saying like, you know, we under, like sort of hedging, but we understand, we understand why they did this, but this, this unilateral action will also be used against minority voices. And, and they specifically called out, you know, POC, um, BIPOX, BIPOX and sexual minorities, because everybody has to do that at some point. Um, so I think he has a good point. And I also, I read something in Nellie Bowles Substack. Um, that resonated with me as well. She wrote, this came out yesterday. Her substack is called No Chill with Nelly. I'm wary when private companies whose power humans have never seen before begin to exert their, exert more moral authority. It's a free country and these are free companies, so I'm not saying there ought to be a government response or some fairness doctrine. Lord knows I don't want the DMV running Facebook. But tech giants have a power to control humanity beyond anything we have reckoned with before. And any increase in that already great power, any rapid shift towards more authority worries me and should worry you. We should be scared of their power. No matter which side these companies appear to be on this week, as the winds of political power shift. And then there is the messenger. It is curious that journalists are in mass calling for moderators, writers calling for less, rest, less writing, all asking that a third party step in and put guardrails for decency. It used to be the church and the shoal leading arguments for stronger rules around speech and decency. So this is not just about a shift in our social mores, but who enforces them. And I think that's also a really good point. Like I saw just the takes on this were like pretty infuriating. Like I saw Kevin Roos, who's the, um, who's a a New York Times tech columnist and he he tweeted let me find this tweet one second he tweeted a lot of dug in weirdos are conflating theoretical worries about twitter banning people for wrong think and thought crimes with what actually happened which is they are ban- they ban trump for inciting actual tri- crimes well a that's what they're saying but if you read the text of the tweets that he was banned for that doesn't really work he did not actually incite that's such a weird take right. because he He's ignoring what Twitter actually said. Right, They're right. Not saying we banned him because he incited violence. Right, right. And then, and then Roos follows up. You can disagree with these platforms' decisions, fine, but it's just dishonest to pretend that Oath Keepers and QAnon influencers and Groypers are getting banned for like using the wrong pronouns instead of organizing a mob that killed people. Well, first of all, Twitter does ban people for using people. the wrong pronouns, and second of all. If if you were going to apply this evenly and ban everybody who organizes mobs that get people killed, then you need to ban every Antifa account and fucking half of Black Lives Matter, right? So there doesn't seem. I don't know to about be- half of Black Lives Matter, but there's definitely like. Uh, I'm exaggerating, yeah. but these, but but the riots over the summer led to more deaths than than this event did in D.C. That not to not to say the the two things are equivalent. I don't think they they are. But if that is your standard, then you need to, then like you need to apply it evenly, yeah. and that also is going to affect leftist groups that Kevin Roos actually agrees with and just the lack of perspective here where you think that these companies are always like nelly said the the political winds shift and if you and if you apply these rules evenly that means that all of these groups need to be banned and maybe you can make a good argument for that but you can't just say like the groups that we don't like are going to get banned when groups that are doing the exact same thing or or doing things that lead to the same result are not going to get banned and so i mean that's kind of my position on this. I think that like everybody's a fucking hypocrite. I'm more concerned with Parler being banned than I am with Trump's being booted from these platforms because the response to, is oftentimes like if you don't want to follow the Twitter's rules, then make your own platform. Well, guess what? These conservatives did go make their own platform. And now that platform has been banned from the Google, uh, the Google Play Store as well as the App Store. It's getting kicked off of Amazon Web Services. So it's got to find a new host. You know, 
I am like, I'm concerned that we're going to live in a world at some point where conservatives exist on one internet and liberals exist on another internet. And that's a really bad outcome here. We have, like, we saw after 2016 what happens when we are entrenched in our echo chambers and we're not talking to each other and we're not listening to each other. And all that this is doing, kicking these conservatives off, not Donald Trump, but there's been a bunch of conservatives who've been kicked off of these platforms and not just for inciting violence. All this is going to do is is separate us into our like little fucking corners even more than we already are. And that's a really bad outcome for society. Yeah. I mean, well, okay. So a few things. First of all, I, I, I do want to say, um, I think the total death toll for the whole summer of violence was 25. Five people died in one. Right. Between May and October, 25 people killed like an associated protest. Yeah. Yeah, this was five people died in one day. So it was a the the most violent. Yeah, but like half those were like fucking heart attacks though. Like That's true. Three I think three of them were. Yeah. Right, right. Um, fair. Uh well even if it was two, if you that would be that would mean you'd get anyway, I, I just wanted to push back against that a little. But um on the on the Roos thing and the journalist thing, I mean Kevin Roos is like really smart. And what's worrying me is seeing so many smart people fail to understand that you sort of like principles are important and thinking through reactions after traumatic events is important. Um, you often do more damage by making hasty decisions after an event than the event itself caused. I mean, nine 11, which this was nothing like is, is a prime example of that. But what's interesting is like you sort of saw people online trying to make this out to be worse than it was to justify subsequent actions. So you saw multiple you saw people making comparisons to crystal knocked which is crazy i mean crazy right and this is this was not fucking 9-11 this was not 9-11 it was not crystal knocked it was horrible and it was scary i want to get have people fired i want people to be arrested and imprisoned for doing it but it was not like i heard a woman on npr today say that this was the most over white supremacist event in united states history no, who said that? They had some activist on who said this, and the reporter didn't say, like, wait a second, more than slavery? More than Jim Crow? It was just allowed to, like, lay there, like, some truth. Yeah. I mean, just- what one, one, one rather glaring difference <laughs> is that, like, while the crowd was mostly white, there were certainly some black and Latino people in the crowd. So that's one distinction between this and other white supremacist events where you would be killed. I mean, um, it worries me that the, the, it's like, I don't want to call it hysteria because this was a horrible event. This will be in history textbooks or whatever we have instead of history textbooks, but it wasn't, it, it did not actually threaten the country. It was not a civil war. It was not a feasible insurrection. It was just this very horrible, weird event that we should get the, to the bottom of. But the, you know, journalists and activists who in other situations are so rightly skeptical of big unaccountable companies just being like, well, they're going to do what they got to do. And, and, you know, you saw people saying things like, you know, it, it's telling who's complaining that they lost followers because because that means their followers are Nazis. It's like, what makes you so sure that Twitter is banning Nazis? Like, what information do you have? And um, I feel like the trap they're laying is that like whatever time we spend complaining about Twitter bans would be like people die. The Capitol was breached. But it's like you, you can talk about both. Like after 9-11, you could talk about the the no fly list or what our response was. And of course, if you did that, you're accused of being like pro terrorist. It doesn't make you pro crazy protester to say that we should stop and think about what we're doing in response to it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing that's, that's disturbing about this besides the actual fact of the, of the 
event itself is that the response to it has been to like cheer on these basically unaccountable companies from unilaterally deciding what who can be seen and and who can't you know which they have they have every right to do they are they are private they are private corporations you know Robbie Suave made this point on Twitter if you know if the government mandated that they allow Donald Trump on Twitter that would be a problem as well yeah. there's just really it's really hard to think of like a good solution to any of these problems i mean like you you see people calling for more regulation of uh more government you know regulation of these groups well that actually wouldn't really work either like if if the government like even at the most extreme if the government like took over facebook and now Facebook is a, is a public utility. Well, then it's going to operate by First Amendment yeah. rules. You'd have and then you're going to have an even bigger problem yeah. problem with yeah with content moderation. You wouldn't be able to to you know other aside from threats. I mean that that's the thing. I think like I've never been on Parler or Parlay or whatever it is. I've seen lots of screenshots, and it does seem like a like a pretty unhinged group where there's lots of um you know where there's lots of of conspiracy theorizing and plotting and shit like that. But to me, the response to that is like, if, if you're the company itself, make some effort to moderate content or Amazon can put pressure on the company to do that or whatever. But shutting the entire thing down does feel like, like ideologically motivated censorship because they're not shutting down these other groups that are also encourage violence that are also horrific they're shutting down the ones that, that the conservatives use i mean i was going to ask about that because that to me is one of the difficult things here is if if as many people reported parlor wasn't responding to violent posts and wasn't taking them down um i can understand how a certain point amazon would feel the pressure to do something and and i guess the difference with twitter is i do think I don't think it's the case that if you're a Black Lives activist on Twitter and you said we should kill cops, they wouldn't take that down. I think on violent threats, Twitter takes stuff down pretty consistently, right? I mean, we can just search it right now. Okay, I just searched I want to kill cops on Twitter, and there's a bunch of posts that say I want to kill cops. There's like, I want to kill cops, heart emoji, a heart emoji, heart eye emoji. Um, this is a lot. People say this, and they're still on twitter i get i guess one question is whether they're weirdos and no one saw the tweets and reported them i'm curious what would happen sure. if you reported yeah. them um probably uh, you know you would get a yeah. a message in like six months saying that they had taken the tweets down yeah. or something like that i guess like look there's no there, there there's this assumption that there's some like regulatory move a lot of this stuff is like much more complicated than people think. Even just, even just the question of taking down false content. There are obvious situations where people post stuff that's like demonstrably false, but a lot more situations than you think where there's this fuzzy gray zone where I don't want tech billionaires deciding what's true, including, I hate to say this, but like in this case, the claims of election fraud were false. You can't create a blanket rule that you're not allowed to question elections or post evidence you think an election was stolen. So you have to do it on a case-by-case basis. But then who's the the committee that gets to decide what Twitter's view of truth is? Like, his stuff gets very complicated. Should the, should the, I know, like, face, Facebook at times has tried to have a balanced panel where I think it's like, you know, a journalist from mainstream progressive organization and the Daily Caller and they reach some consent. It's just, it gets very complicated and that's why they 
hands off approach has historically been popular and most practical, even if it's under attack right now. I just continue to be very disappointed by journalists. Like I journalists are the ones who need to be able to like they need to be the cooler heads who prevail, but they spend so much time on Twitter riling one another up. I just have no faith in them talking about this stuff in an intelligent and honest way or, or reporting on it. It's just that they're they're so clearly can't imagine any situation where it might be unfair to ban conservatives. And like you, I'm more so worried about these increasingly intense echo chambers. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's really my my main concern here is just well, for one thing, when you when you ban these groups, when you ban places like Parler, when you ban these conservatives. Of course, conservatives are going to get a little conspiratorial about it. And I don't, I also don't think that like shunting these people into like narrower and narrower and more underground platforms is going to be helpful for anyone because then they're like speaking to each other unmoder, un, without being observed even, right? Um, it's just yeah. not good for us to – all that happens when we're in these echo chambers is people on both sides get more and more extreme because you don't have anybody to check – to like check and balance. You don't have anybody to push back on your ideas. And I keep seeing this yeah. – I'm seeing this on Facebook. There's been this – this happened after 2016. It happens periodically. But there's been this rash of people – some people that I dearly love – announcing on facebook that if they you know if you if you support donald trump unfriend me now and i'm not talking about like kids talking to their grandparents i'm talking about like family and friends who are in their in their 60s and 70s you know and then they're having these like arguments on facebook with friends they've had for 40 years and ending these friendships because their friends like the are trump voters not because their friends necessarily like support what happened in dc i don't think anybody in their right mind could support that but they do support donald trump they're conservatives and i'm just watching in real time these adults in their in their long friendships over politics and it just it it feels really really dangerous right now um i've never i've never seen anything like this it's it's really fucking weird yeah there's um i i just think you know, as I said in our last episode, I don't think you can really – I think there were reasons to view the capital attack as like its own thing and worse and separate because of fucking president egging it on. But the context of just like, I don't know, liberal denialism that a lot of the stuff that went on over the summer was very bad and that like – Biden said that Antifa was an idea. Right. I mean, he did condemn violence. He did yeah. condemn violence, but he also downplayed it. He said that he like ignored the fact that Antifa is not an idea. Ideas don't burn down buildings. That that's what gets me is like the the combination of trying to turn this event into Crystal Knock, and it was a horrible event. But then like like a dude got burned to death during one of the many fire sets this summer. A block of a city was burned down in Kenosha. These events. Bring with them like a toll in lives because if your business gets burned down or you lose your job because that like this really – there just has to be some level of like we're in this together. Violence is bad and the, the inability of people to say violence and destruction are bad because they're afraid that that will be seen as coming out against when their side does it is just fucking corrosive and, and this – it does feel like sort of the – potential start of a process of how society sort of society sort of collapses i'm not saying that will happen but this is one of the steps right right i mean the only people i can imagine this being good for is you and i so at least there's that lots of content yes yeah this the new apartment um you know it's nice it works yeah 
Yeah, it's only going to get bigger. The more uh, the more everything gets fucked up, your apartment is just going to grow in square feet. It's like every time <laughs> some kind of like Kafka-esque story where you notice a new room in your apartment, but that means there was like a genocide somewhere. <laughs> you got to think, worth it? Not worth it. I don't know. All right. Anything else to say about this? Greg Lukianoff, who we usually like, he tweeted, the best way for social media companies to decide what speech is and isn't permitted is to mirror the standards in the First Amendment. Not because they have to, they don't, but because there's decades of clear standards and wisdom. Yes, there's clear standards there. I completely understand why Twitter and Facebook don't want to host Nazis and they have the choice to kick off Nazis. So I don't, I don't think that's a solution either, even though I'm a big fan of the First Amendment. Um, that was just one other point that struck me as worth making. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the problem is also just like, who's a Nazi? And according to plenty of definitions, you and I are also Nazis, according to some people. So especially you. maybe some Nazis should be allowed on platforms. Just us. Uh, thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you.